welcome to Breaking the Barrier, a Western lifestyle podcast focused on those breaking barriers both in and out of the arena. Today, we're in for a treat because I am joined by one of the best in the business behind the microphone, PBR, IPRA, and 2021 PRCA Rodeo Announcer of the Year, Garrett Yerrigan. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm super stoked for our conversation today because you have so much knowledge surrounding the production and professional side of the sport. And that's really came from a lifetime in the business. Give listeners kind of a, a background of how you got started in rodeo and how you got to where you are today. Uh, so it all started when I was about two weeks old and my mom and dad made the mistake of taking me to a rodeo and, uh, <laughs> it's, it's all been history since then. A fatal mistake. No, fatal mistake. two weeks old, right off to the wrong foot. Um, uh, no, I, I, uh, I, I'm thankful they did. Uh, like I said, two weeks old, I was at my first rodeo, um, and traveling with them. My, my dad was a steer wrestler, won 11 world titles in the IPRA. Uh, my mom barrel, still barrel races a little bit, but, um, uh, she made the IFR five times competing. Um, so definitely rodeos in my blood. Uh, my dad now serves as the general manager of the IPRA. So still heavily involved that way. Um, and when I was about six or seven, I started doing the slack at rodeos um, just because, you know, the, the performance announcer didn't want to do the slack. And um, so it was a cool thing for me to get to do while I was there anyway, waiting on mom and dad to compete. So uh, I'd do that to help them out and kind of just started doing jackpot barrel races, team roping, steer wrestlings, anything, bull riding, doing anything I could get on the microphone for. And um, then when I was 12, um, I bought my IPRA card uh, because there's no age limit in IPRA. So I could get it before I was 18. And there was a longtime family friend of ours that had uh, was a stock contractor and was producing rodeos and had two rodeos one weekend. And his primary announcer went to one and uh, he needed another one and and called me out and said, well, you think you're ready? And I said, well, I guess we'll find out. And uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I was nervous, I'm not going to lie. And and I got through it and stuff. And they hired me back for a few years after that. And and uh, then, you know, just scheduling, had, you know, moved on from there. But uh, so that was that was when I was 12. And then uh, fast forward, um, started doing more and more rodeos, still still kind of was doing anything I could get, really, any jackpots and youth rodeos. I did the Oklahoma High School Finals. I did the Texas, couple of their region finals, high school state finals, um, more barrel racings and different things. Then uh, 2013, uh, when I was 18, uh, I applied for my PRCA card. Uh, got it and then uh, got approved and then in 2014 bought my card and was still doing lots of IPRA rodeos. I announced the international finals rodeo, the IFR seven times. Uh, I won the IPRA's announcer of the year. Um, I won their Mark McGee Memorial Award, which is a pretty, uh, pretty prestigious award and honor um, in the IPRA. And uh, then 2017, I did my first PRCA rodeo in Mineral Wells, Texas. And uh, I mean, fast forward 20, let's see, 2019, I did the American for the first time. 2020, I did the uh, Extreme Bronx Tour Finale in Rapid City. Um, 2021, I did Cheyenne for the first time. And uh, then obviously in December was blessed and honored and blown away and humbled uh, <laughs> to win the uh, announcer of the year. And I mean, the, the, the cool thing about that is, I, that was the first year for me to even be nominated to be on the top five. And so 
I didn't think I had a chance of winning it. I mean, just to be on the list with those guys, Bob Tallman, Will Rasmussen, Randy Corley, Wayne Brooks, I mean, guys that I've looked up to in this business, um, to stand up there on the stage with those guys and then for somehow for them to call out my name and and uh, I, it's just it's, it's a blur. I mean, honestly, it is a blur <laughs> that night. Um, that's that's pretty it's, neat. It's, yeah, it, it's something very special. And yeah, then here, here we are today looking forward to more growing and, uh, you know, still some things to check off the bucket list, of course. But um, I'm very, very blessed and very thankful to be where I am today and have done the things I've done. Definitely. Well, I, obviously, it seems like this is something that's really been with you from a very young age. And I would just be curious to know when it became more of a decision to sink your your teeth into this career versus, you know, being being there out of convenience because you're there with your parents to to making that career decision, really. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. Um, I think there was a point where I – you know, everybody in rodeo goes through that phase of what do I want to do in rodeo? What, how do I want to make my impact on the sport? Um, and I knew growing up, I tried a little bit of everything. I, I tried the steer saver if I want to be a steer wrestler and rode steers and roped and, and uh, nothing ever just like, you know, really grabbed me. Like got my adrenaline pump on like, man, this is what I want to do. And then when I started doing those slacks and stuff, I kind of started realizing that, hey, the microphone's pretty cool. Like, you know, you still get to rodeo per se. Uh, you still do the travel and still see all the places, meet all the people, but you're not tearing up your body. Um, you get to, you <laughs> get to go, yeah, you get to go enjoy the town that you're in. Um, fun fact, and I've told this on about every interview that I've ever done. Fun fact, you ever want to know where the best places to eat are in a rodeo town? Ask the announcer and the clown because they're the ones that know. Um, Amazing. Every, you know, everybody else is in and out in a couple hours and we get yes. to stay there and enjoy the town and, and the people and stuff. So uh, I'd say it was probably probably around, I don't know, eight to 10 years old when I figured out that, that this is what I wanted to do. And uh, it, one of the one of the most special things to me was at that time, uh, Clem McSpadden was still alive and, and doing a lot of rodeos. And um, I remember him and Justin McKee uh, both made the comment uh, that they knew all kinds of people that wanted to grow up to be ropers and bull riders and, and, you know, bronc riders and stuff. But I was the first person they'd ever met that grew up wanting to be a rodeo announcer. And at the time I didn't really think much of it. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, whatever. But now looking back on it, I mean, obviously knowing now truly who Clem was at the time, at the time, I, I mean, I was just a little kid that thought this older guy was being nice to me, you know, um, <laughs> I, I didn't really understand who Clem McSpadden was. And now looking back and, and, you know, Justin and I are friends and stuff. So it's cool to look back at those moments. Um, I have a picture actually uh, from doing the slack at Venita, Oklahoma with Clem one year, uh, just a year or two before he passed away. Uh, and that that it it's that picture is framed and sits in my trophy case right next to the announcer of the year buckles and the IFR buckles and um, you know all all of my accolades. It sits right there with him because now looking back to remember the things he said and get that opportunity to sit next to him, um, th those are just moments that I wouldn't trade you know for anything. But I think all of that together was was when I started to realize you know okay this is what God's put in me to do. And this is what he wants me to do to make an impact on this sport. And, 
yeah, it's 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 wild to look back and look at all those subtle things that you don't realize at the time. And now you're like, wow, I was dumb for not realizing this a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's so, it's so special and and it makes the process worth it makes the ride worth it. Cause if you realize it in day one, there's nothing else to really like try to figure out, but every day, you know, there's something that happens that makes me realize this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Awesome. That's a really cool full circle moment. Really. Um, I would be curious to know. So as a rodeo announcer, there's a lot, yes, you're rodeoing, you're on the road, you're doing all those things, but you know, preparing for rodeo looks pretty different from you, for you than it does other contract personnel, contestants, the whole gamut. Yeah. Um, what does it look like when you're preparing for a performance? And does that process look differently depending on um, where you're at and what rodeo um, you're sanctioned in? It does. Um, it, very much so, because every organization has different means of uh, information. Um, you know, like the PRCA has a great database now, especially since they redid their website, um, has a great database uh, from, you know, every time somebody's competed, every time an animal's, you know, competed in the rough stock and stuff, uh, results from, from rodeos all over the country. So it's a lot easier to get that information um, where your regional associations uh, that just, I mean, to be honest, they don't have the budget for for a complete media department like that. So, you know, you rely a lot more on your standings and just, you know, social media, honestly, you know, in the era of social media, for as many faults as it has, um, <laughs> it is, it has made things easier with keeping up with, you know, somebody uh, just got engaged or just got married or having a baby, um, you know, maybe, maybe a tragedy, their horse got hurt, um, a horse passed away, you know, just all of the ups and downs that come with there's so many incredible stories in rodeo that that w- some of the athletes are so self-kept that we may never know but with social media we've started to break down some of that um started to open up some of those lines of communication you know podcasts such as this and, and different avenues that that have allowed athletes to open themselves up um you know it, it's making things easier for us to then return and tell that story to audiences um, you know, there, so, so that's, that's one way of doing it. Um, but it, but it usually takes, um, I'd say for every hour of a rodeo performance, you're looking at probably two hours worth of homework, uh, depending on your talent level, depending on your number of contestants. You know, if you go to a rodeo where your numbers are kind of light, um, you know, it may only take you, a, you know, a couple hours to do your entire notes. But if you go to uh, a rodeo like Cheyenne, for example, that is loaded with talent, both <laughs> livestock and contestants, you're looking at, oh, I'd usually, I'd spend anywhere from six to eight hours a day doing notes. Um, like, you know, for example, there with afternoon performances, uh, when we would finish a performance, I'd go back to my trailer and do notes for the next day's Cowboys and then get up the next morning and do that day's livestock, go do the rodeo and start all over. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's a lot to it. You know, we're not, we're not, warming up our horses, saddling horses, you know, that kind of thing, you know, checking our cattle, um, warming up our rope, you know, all those different things. But we do have our own preparation, you know, to make sure that we do our job the best too. Definitely. And it's not like you're just shooting the breeze up there. I mean, you're really helping, uh, you know, fans who are in the stands for the first time kind of understand what's happening. But also from a production standpoint, you're also helping things 
move smoothly and stay on time. Uh, yeah. How important is it that you um, are aware of everything that's going on, that you're prepared, and that your head's on a swivel from that production standpoint? It's vital. Uh, that that is that is the most important thing is being adaptable, being fluid, being flexible. Um, you know, because there is outside of the opening ceremonies, there is no part of rodeo that's scripted. Um, so you have to be able to read the play, read the field. Uh, you got to be like a good quarterback. I mean, I know that analogy has been made a, a million times, but uh, you got to be a good quarterback. You got to be able to read the field, see what the see what the play is, and know where to throw the ball. Um, you know, you have to be able to see. You know, okay, if if I look down there at the rope and shoot, and I see that they're having trouble getting the steer loaded, and there's not a steer in the shoot, I know that I need to go to the clown and and fill some time. Or if I look down and and I see that uh, you know a, a bucking horse is laying down in the chute, and he's the last guy, and we have nobody to roll to. I need I need to go to the the clown or my music director or something and fill some time. Um, so you really have to be able to see three steps ahead. Um, yeah, same kind of. If you look, um, it, okay, let's take an example. If if the last guy in an event you know has an injury and he's the performance winner and he can't make it to his victory lap horse. You got to know, okay, we're going to adapt here on the fly, you know, and we're going to either skip the victory lap or we're going to run the flag, but no cowboy. You know, there's just so many variables in this sport. And that that's probably the hardest thing to teach um, because I could sit here with a, with a young kid next to me and I could, I could lay out all of these different scenarios that I can think of, but there's still something that's going to happen that I haven't told him about. <laughs> um, it, it's inevitable. There, there is, there is so many unknowns. And that's where the livestock comes. But at the end of the day, for me personally, that's what makes it fun is that unknown of what's coming next. What what curveball is fixing to get thrown at me that I have to adapt to? Um, you know, the smooth ones, while they're easy, it's sometimes the the wild performances that that are the most fun. Uh, it really it really challenges your crew. And in today's production society, just the means of how rodeos are done, the announcer, the music director, and the clown. Are, are the three pieces that can make or break your rodeo. Because um, when when you go to a rodeo and it's the busy time, it's 4th of July and there's 74 million rodeos going on in three days, um, their turnouts are inevitable. So the thing that a lot of people forget, when Cowboys turn out, we still have to make a show. We still have to cover an event. So if you have, if you have 10 steer wrestlers, and six of them are in, are in a rig together and can't make it or get doubled up or blow a tire and broke down on the side of the army, whatever, and there's only four out of your 10, we still have to make a show for the people that bought a ticket. Um, so as much as, as much as the cowboys and cowgirls are what sell the tickets, we're the ones that make the ticket valuable sometimes. Um, and, I, and I don't mean to take that away from the contestants because 90-point rides and, and three-second runs – I mean, that's what they want to see when they come. But when there isn't that, we have to make sure that people are entertained to the point of they'll come back again. Definitely. Just sounds like just another day in the office. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So contestants are really in and out of the arena in much less than a minute, oftentimes. Yeah. So the announcer is the front facing person throughout the entire performance that Fans kind of develop a, almost a camaraderie with throughout the rodeo, especially if they're having that interaction with the clown and whatnot. Um, but how do you explain and implement and in, inject almost that knowledge of what's happening, whether it be 
you know, the mechanics of a bull ride or why a, a calf roping run went south while still keeping things upbeat and fun. Yeah. So, so one of the biggest, I don't want to use the word challenges, but one of the <laughs> things that you kind of have to juggle is explaining the sport to new fans in a way they understand it while not annoying the people that do know rodeo and are tired of hearing the rules every week. Um, mm -hmm. Because it, there, there are so many instances and especially now with the Cowboy Channel, just being point blank, you know, broadcasting so many rodeos, which is awesome. Um, but there's a lot of announcers, and, and, and I'll throw clowns in there too, that get heard every week. Um, and the people at home get tired of listening to the same thing over and over and over again. But we are hired for the in-house audience. Uh, which oftentimes, okay, for instance, today we're recording this and I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm down here at, at the American Rodeo and Cowtown Coliseum where we're at for the first, first couple of weeks for our preliminaries is a tourist mecca. Um, every week there's a rodeo in Cowtown Coliseum and it is full of tourists, full of new rodeo fans. Um, every week the, the announcer in here, Billy Huckabee, he, he has a couple of questions. You know, how many of you are at your very first rodeo ever? And I, I would be willing to bet all the money in my pocket that the average answer to that question is 85% of the audience. There's just so many new people. So especially a guy like Billy that's here every week, he really has to explain what is the barrier? What is the markout rule? Uh, what is a legal catch in the breakaway roping? Um, you know, what is a legal catch in the team roping? All of the different intricacies that, that matter he has to explain it, but he also has to make it in a way that is appealing to the longtime rodeo fans that know it. And it, I mean, they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, why is he explaining this again? But if he presents it in a way that appeals to the new people and still appeases the the older rodeo fans, um, that that's kind of the, the ultimate way to check the box, if you will. Um, and same thing for any of us. Uh, I, I know that I announce rodeos differently in New York than I do in Texas or Oklahoma um, because I have to go into a lot more depth in rules in New York and really slow down and explain why this happened, why that happened, how this affects, you know, what's the result here. Where Oklahoma and Texas, granted, rodeos on, on more street corners, everybody kind of knows the rules uh, and, you, and you can breeze through it a little quicker. You can hit the high notes, of course. Um, but, but it really, you really have to know your audience and, and not to circle back, but it goes back to reading the play and, and seeing the field, knowing, knowing your, your client, knowing your constituents, um, and knowing how to, how to present yourself. Absolutely. So you've obviously been at this for quite some time. Um, but I'd be curious to know, you know, just like any athlete, any competitor, anyone in any industry, um, everyone's always looking to get better and to improve their skill set. So I'd be curious to see or to know how you approach, um, you know, honing in on your skills because it really is an art and it's not just something that, that yes, you might be um, born with the, the, the talent, but it's something you really have to develop. It is. Uh, and, and I was very fortunate growing up, like I, I said earlier, you know, going to rodeos with my mom and dad and listening to countless announcers from IPRA greats like Danny Newland, Mark McGee, 
um, you know, TJ Williams, uh, Jerry Todd, um, Jerry Bellis, um, you know, those guys that really pioneered in the IPRA. Um, and then, you know, guys in the PRCA, Bob Tolman, Boyd Paul Hamus, uh, Phil Gardenhire, Hadley Barrett, um, you know, even, even Randy Corley and stuff. Um, and, and just listening to old tapes and old NFRs and different things. And so I was able to kind of take all of that and study it and figure out, oh, I like this. I like that. I don't know if that would work for me. I don't know if I could do that. Um, and, and ultimately put it in a blender and come out with my mixture. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of what I tell young guys too, is, is listen to everybody, you know, figure out what, what you like, what you don't like, figure out your style, figure out your presence, because there, there already is a Bob, there already is a Boyd, there already is a Randy, a Wayne, a Hadley. I mean, go through the list. There's already a Garrett, but there's not, there's not a you. And, that, and that's the thing you got to figure out and kind of going back to the whole making my mark on the industry. Uh, you know, I want, I want at the end of the day, at the end of my career to be, that was a guy that was himself. Um, he wasn't trying to copy off somebody. He wasn't trying to sound like this guy or that guy. It, you know, this is the voice God gave me. If it happens to sound like somebody else, I can't help that. Um, <laughs> but as far as, you know, just, just how you overall present the game, um, I think uniqueness is what makes you stand out and makes people remember you. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's all I can do is try to be me. Absolutely. So rodeo is deeply ingrained in your identity and where you've been and, and where you're going. Um, obviously you want to stay true to yourself and your voice, but as, as you look ahead, you know, at the end of your career, when you look back, what kind of impact do you want to be able to say, or what tangible changes do you want to say that you were able to bring to the sport as a whole? Oh, and that's, that's such a, it's a great question, but it's a tough question because you never know what tomorrow brings. I mean, Amen. goodness <laughs> gracious, if you'd asked me that question two years ago, pretty much two years ago right now, nobody would have ever known that in two weeks the world would shut down. Um, so, yikes, <laughs> I mean, yikes. It, it's so tough to plan out anything like that because you don't, like I said, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Now, I mean, granted, to answer the question, I think at the end of the day, I, I want to be somebody that helps grow the sport outside of the sport. Um, you know, get it out to a more mainstream audience. You know, I, I do I do other things besides rodeo um, with commercials and appearances and voice. Out. I go I still go back to my uh, Oklahoma State FFA convention every year and do you know introductions and voice work for them. Granted, still agriculture related, but it's outside of rodeo. Um, you know, there's still lots of kids there that even though they wear the, the corduroy jacket, they may have never seen a rodeo. They may not understand rodeo. Um, so so still to grow that to a somewhat related audience, but grab new people potentially. Um, that that's that's growth for our sport and growth for our industry. Um, you know, there's so many ways the, the cowboy mentality is is funny sometimes. Um, we want to grow, but we don't necessarily like change very well. Um, and one of my one of my least favorite mentalities is that's the way we've always done it. And you know, if I can break some of that up, uh, whether it be in my announcing or the rodeos that I help produce, um, if we can change and appeal to a younger uh, audience, whether it be 
through, you know, music that we play or things that we say or, you know, laser light show openings and different technology that kind of grabs that younger generation. Um, you know, that that's where I want to be. Uh, I, I want to be somebody that, like I said, has helped grow the sport instead of just keeping it. I, I appreciate tradition. I, I don't want to act like I don't. Um, but there is such thing as tradition to a fault. Um, and, and, you know, there are ways, um, definitely ways to maintain a tradition to a certain level while still adapting to modern times. Take, take forward stock show and rodeo, for example, we still do the traditional grand entry. Um, we still appreciate that, but we have incorporated lights, uh, video elements, a incredible video replay board, uh, one of the most advanced sound systems in the world, one of the tightest productions in rodeo. We're a television broadcast, live television broadcast every night. Um, and, the, and, you know, that's a rodeo that has maintained tradition to a point, but is is starting to really open some eyes and engage fans like never before. And, and I think uh, I think that's something that everybody needs to be aware of. Absolutely. So there's a lot of movement in the rodeo industry right now with the Cowboy Channel and a lot of athletes are becoming more proactive in terms of promoting themselves. And, you know, maybe they're posting a graphic saying what rodeos they are going to be at over the course of the next month. Um, what are some encouraging things that you're seeing uh, from your perspective that are going to eventually help propel the industry forward? Yeah, I, uh, accessibility, um, I think, is one way because. Um, what makes you a fan of someone or makes you not like someone um, is how accessible they are. Um, you take uh, you take your favorite musician. Um, I'll use Kanye West, for example, because he's kind of the hot topic right now with his social media. Um, there are people that that like him and hate him, but that creates buzz. And, you know, Somebody, for instance, if you on your social media post about this celebrity that you've been following that you like or dislike something they've done and I've never heard of them, well, I'm going to go look them up. And that that could either make me get sucked into the trap, too, of liking them or hating them or or it at least exposes me to that person. So with social media, uh, you know, contestants um, take Coleman Proctor, one of my best friends and, and lives right there two miles from me and prior. Um, if, if you've ever seen his Facebook page, he has these videos, Toter Tales. And yes. that's, that's one of my favorite things on social media is Coleman's Toter Tales. Um, because it gives people a inside look to real Coleman Proctor. Like him or hate him. Granted, there's lots of people that love him. Who couldn't? Uh, <laughs> you can have your opinion if you don't like him, but you're wrong. So, uh, so but uh, no, I mean, Coleman, Coleman does such a great job of giving people real. Um, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. Um, he will address it. You know, if he if he misses a steer because he messed up, he'll tell you because that's the fact and the truth of the matter. Um, you know, basketball players, football players, all the people you look, the people that post more and post more real stuff, they're the ones that have the bigger followers, which in turn gives their sport and their industry more followers. So I think the best thing Cowboys can do is is get on social media. Uh, I'm not saying you have to post something every five seconds because that gets annoying. But, uh, you know, if, if you're posting something just every day or at least every other day, and, and I'm, I'm not going to say I'm the best at either. I'm, I'm lucky to be a once a week kind of guy. Um, but, but I try to just, you know, post something and, and keep people going and keep people engaged. 
Um, and, and like you said, the best thing that some of them are doing, I've seen a handful um, contestants, like you said, posting the schedule, just a simple little schedule saying, hey, here's where I'm coming next. And, you know, if if I'm in Fort Worth, Texas this week and I see Tilden Hooper's coming to Fort Worth, oh, hey, I like Tilden. I want to go see Tilden. I'm going to go buy a rodeo ticket. There we go. We just sold another ticket. Um, you said Cowboy Channel. They're doing a great job. One of my favorite things on there is Justin McKee's Pro Rodeo Tonight Show. Uh, when they get to go and, and tell stories and sit down and, and have the time to get inside, I'm, I'm going to use the old cliche, inside baseball, um, <laughs> and, and figure out, you know, the real side of our athletes. And and uh, I said this earlier that there's so many incredible stories that we've not been able to tell. And, uh, you know, they're they're breaking some barriers. I mean, not not to use the pun on the name of this I love podcast. It. I love it. But, uh, but they're breaking barriers down. And, and uh, again, going back to you guys, too, and, and other podcasts that I've listened to, I mean, it's it's incredible to see that we're finally starting to get some of that out there, the raw, uh, untold truths. And, and here's the thing. Everybody's got those opinions, um, you know, but that's that's what creates buzz and creates a sport. Um, it can't all be sunshine and roses. Not everybody's going to win. Not everybody's going to, you know, win first. Um, when we start accepting the good and bad, that's when we will become a mainstream sport. Um, you watch Sports Center on ESPN. Do they sit there for an hour and talk about everybody's great things that they've done? No. They talk about if somebody messed up, if somebody fumbled a pass, if somebody, you know, missed a strike that they should have knocked out of the park. They're, they're pointing the finger. <laughs> exactly. Because because they're educating and, and you know, my dad is, is a huge golf fan. He can sit home and watch golf for 25 hours a day, eight days a week. And, oh, my gosh. <laughs> But uh, but but he he can sit there and watch, and they'll dissect those those backswings and those putts and those drives and stuff. And while Tiger Woods may not like it that they're talking about, oh, he was off here, and you know he should have he should have put his right foot back or forward or whatever they do to make their swing better. Um, you know that's how you dissect and get everybody better. And uh, you know, I remember a couple years ago uh, I was announcing a rodeo and. I had a bronc rider come up to me after the rodeo and say, man, you were kind of harsh on me when I was riding. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you said I wasn't moving my feet. I wasn't spurring. I said, were you? Well, uh, no. I said, so then how I wasn't wrong then, was I? Well, no. I said, do you think I was like affecting the judging? I said, because as much as we all joke about it, they're not blind. Like they, they can see if you're moving yeah. your feet or not. <laughs> They've got bifocals at least. Right, yeah. Uh, as I said, so was I wrong by saying what you were doing? Well, no. I said, how do you expect me to explain to the fans the difference in a 90 point ride and a 70 point ride? If I don't tell them that, Hey, he wasn't spurring, that's going to affect his score. Oh, yeah. Well, I hadn't thought of it like that. I mean, that that's just where we, we have been for so long but when we can start accepting the criticism, um, you know, as much as we all don't like it, I, I, I hate criticism as much as the next guy. But if it's constructive, that's worth something. Absolutely. So on that note, if you feel comfortable sharing, what is an area or a pain point that you think really needs addressed in the industry if we're going to move in that positive direction? Um, I, I think 
a little bit of it is the reality of of our sport. Um, for so long, kind of like I said a second ago, for so long it's it's been oh we can't say anything negative about anybody. You know, it's all it's all sunshine and rainbows, and that's not the truth. Um, you know, not everybody's going to win. I, I hate to kind of repeat myself in in pieces, but I, I think we need to get over that fact. Um, there are winners and losers and there's no participation trophies. We're not youth soccer. No offense to youth soccer kids, <laughs> but I played youth soccer. I hated the running. Oh um, my gosh. But uh, I, I think when we can accept, when we can sit there and I, and I hope soon, it, it is just my, my opinion. So if you hate me, well, that's your opinion. I hope soon we have a show on the Cowboy channel where they will sit down and really dissect um, Joe Beaver, one of my favorite commentators, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite commentators on television, because he will tell you what you did wrong. And he's, and he's not sorry about it. He's not apologetic about it because he, he knows that if he tells you what you did wrong, you're going to go back and study it. Um, and he's respected enough to do it. So I would love to see a show on the Cowboy Channel similar to Sports Center, where, sure, if somebody did something right, Absolutely talk about it. I'm not saying make it an hour of negativity, but don't be afraid. Don't be scared to point out, you know, look, he had his toes turned in. He needs to work on getting his toes turned out and, you know, get that spur ride sharper or, or, you know, oh, he, he sat, you know, one of my, one of the things I remember about Joe, he likes to talk. He, he mentions a lot of a guy sits down too early in the tie down rope, you know, when you're up and you're, you're, you know, you're following your calf, if he sits down or drops his elbow or, you know, has the tip of his rope, you know, too high, too low, whatever. Um, you know, those are the things that to be a sport, and it goes back to the education thing. It goes back to educating fans. Why did that cowboy miss? Why did that cowboy have a lower score? Um, you know, what what why did them, something happen and why did that result come? It comes from education. And if we just all the time are talking about what everybody did right, then wouldn't that mean everybody has the same result? I mean, if we just continue to talk about, you know, oh, how good this horse was or how good this cowboy was, wouldn't everybody be the same score? No. The difference in rides is is the good and the bad. And I, I think that's where we need to start accepting that, you know, we we have those moments. You know, if, if Tom Brady, you know, throws a pass too short, why? Well, did somebody hit him? Did he did he you just trajectory wrong? Did somebody hit the receiver? I mean, where what happened um and that's where i think sometimes we we get too caught up in trying to just put a positive spin on everything um and and we need to understand that there are times when the the performance was just not enough to win or not enough to place definitely well and and back to that accessibility piece it's if you don't have any familiarity with rodeo at all um you have quite a few different sets of rules to learn. It's not like you're sitting at a basketball game and, um, you know, you have to learn the general rules there. So a lot more into that. Uh, but I think I can definitely see how that would be helpful and, and helpful for people outside of the industry too. Um, so as we kind of wrap up today, I would love to know um, of all the places you've been and, you know, the history that you've watched happen in the arena in front mm -hmm. of you is there a run or a rodeo in particular that sticks out to you as a highlight or a moment where you just kind of sit back and are like, wow, like I can't believe I get to do this. 
Um, there are. Um, I remember a couple of them. Um, I remember in 2019 at the American when I got to watch my neighbor Coleman Proctor. Him and Ryan Motes won $433,000 a piece um, at the, you know, by winning the American as qualifiers. Um, I remember that. That was, that was special kind of to me because he is my neighbor. I mean, I've known him for a long time and he lives, like I said, two miles from me. So that was pretty special to me. Might not be special to a lot of people, um, but it was special to me. Then obviously him, uh, of course. Um, let's see. Uh, I got I got another one that I know for sure, but I'm trying to think if there's any others before I get off in that in this story. Um, <laughs> and, and this is what's sad is I, I know there's more. I, I just you know on in the heat of the moment I can't remember. Them. But the one I do remember, uh, one of my favorite stories from Cheyenne this year, um, Championship Sunday. Uh, we're down to it was supposed to be the final ride and the Bronc ride, but we had a re ride, so so it became the next to last. Um, Stetson Wright. Uh, has, he's the reigning bull riding champion at Cheyenne. He's the reigning all around champion at Cheyenne. Um, and he is trying to be the first member of the Wright family to ever win the Bronc riding. Um, you know, for as many rights, Cody, Jake, Jesse, Spencer, Statler, Stetson, um, Coburn, the brother-in-law, you know, for all of them that have been there and, have, and are going to be there, you know, with, with Statler coming up, um, nobody had ever won the Bronc riding in that family. And so not that it's a big earth shattering record, but it was a pretty cool thing to think about the legacy of that family. And just now we could have the first champion. So he draws a horse named Feather Fluffer championship, uh, which is traditionally a very difficult horse to get out of the chute. Um, kind of fights a little bit, tries to lay down. Um, but if you can get out, you're almost guaranteed 80, 89, 90 plus. Um, so he knew he wanted that horse. There was no, there was no part of him that, that thought, man, if I just kind of fight it for a minute, they'll give me another horse and I'll get a better one. No, there was none of that. He was thinking, okay, I got to take the fight that he's going to give me. And then I got to throw the punches right back at him when I get a chance to nod. And, uh, and boy, that, that, you know, the energy was so high because Ryder had just went, I think 86, 88. So we knew we were going to have that piece of history. But Stetson, of course, wanted to have the piece of history. He wanted to be the first member of the Wright family. Plus, you had his two reigning CFD titles. Uh, he was in two events that day. I mean, there was just so much energy packed around Stetson. Um, and, you know, we come to him. I start building the story. Um, here comes the fight. Uh, Feather Fluffer, you know, starts dancing around the shoes, starts fighting a little bit, lays down. And, uh, you know, Stetson, he's talking it over with the judges. He's talking it over with Will O'Connell, who was the flank man. Um, and he said, you know, I, I want him. You just, Will, you just tell me when you think he's ready. And uh, so she kind of stands up a minute and then lays back down. And, and the judge says, you know, do you want to roll him? He said, yeah, let's roll him one shoot. So he gets off and, and you know, still kind of building this story. And, you know, that that's where it's my job to explain to the fans hey, this is kind of all normal. We knew this was going to happen. We knew the track record on this horse was a little difficult, but he wants him. He, he knows he can be 90 on this horse. And, uh, you know, so everybody is just so engulfed in this moment. Um, so they roll him up a shoot. 
and you know he's quick and he gets in and he finds a chance and he was actually the the horse i, I keep saying he i apologize it's a she um <laughs> she uh she lays down in the front end a little bit and uh, stetson you know he asked Willie. he said what do you think he said cowboy up and go 90 and uh, so he does he nods with the horse you know laying down a little bit and uh and i mean it was just it was poetry in motion it was exactly again not that it was a letdown that it was exactly what we thought it was going to be, but it was exactly what we thought it was going to be. I mean, just floated across the arena, just a slight circle around to the right. And Stetson's just so strong with his feet. And that horse was firing on all cylinders that day. And the crowd's going nuts. He jumps off. He sticks the landing. I mean, just just so much energy and excitement in that moment. Um, and the score comes in. And sure enough, 90 points. Um, so, you know, that's definitely one of my favorite moments that I've got to firsthand witness on the microphone um, just because there was so much anticipation, so much excitement, energy, momentum. Um, and, and of course, the little piece of history that was that was riding on that as well. Um, that ride secured him the all around title again at Cheyenne. Obviously, he won the Bronco. Right? He, he came up short in the bull riding, but still left there with two CFD buckles, saddles, championship titles. Um, so I think, I think anybody that was in Frontier Park on Sunday afternoon this year will remember that moment for quite a while. Well, I, I wasn't there, but that story just gave me chills. So I can <laughs> only imagine what it was like to experience firsthand. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us today. Yeah, no problem. Once again, that was Garrett Yerrigan, professional rodeo announcer and 2021 PRCA Rodeo Announcer of the Year. As a reminder, new episodes of Breaking the Barrier are available every Tuesday and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Breaking the Barrier is produced by the Rural Radio Network.